I'm Jahan Giles, and this is the Take the Next Step podcast brought to you by Johnny Walker. In each episode, we'll meet everyday people, just like you and me, who have been bold enough to take the next step and lead a life of their own design. Their stories will inspire and enable you to be daring. The most important step isn't your last, it's your next. I'm so excited to be talking to Tristan Lutz, who is a food writer, a pop-up diner creator, and a cookbook writer. His career took a dramatic turn just a few years ago when he decided to change his life and take the next steps in making his food dream a reality. I caught up with Tristan in the bar, and we're going to have a drink and a chat about his journey and what is next for him. Hey, what are you guys drinking? Can I have a Johnny Walker highball, please? Sure. Can I get one of those as well, please, with fresh lime? Yep. Tristan, thank you so much for speaking with us today. Let's start from where we are here. What are you working on at the moment? Uh, so I'm working as a uh, freelance food writer for a whole bunch of different uh, publications, websites, uh, magazines, um, do some radio spots, which is pretty cool. I get to write about restaurants, I get to write recipes and, and photograph those, I get to shoot videos of food, yeah, help put together little cookbooks and and that kind of thing. I'm, um, I've just finished a pop-up food stall at Carriageworks in Sydney, which has been sort of US diner food themed, and that went really, really well, so I'm looking at ways of of bringing that back. Um, I know. saw the chicken, it looked really good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that took that took um, months and months to get right, to yeah. get it tasting the way I wanted to. Here you go, guys. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, just working really hard on all of those sorts of projects and uh, hopefully trying to take a lot of the things that I learned out of the diner and, and the food writing stuff that I'm doing and combine it into writing a cookbook about diners. Um, cookbook slash photo essay, yeah, about diners of Route 66. So let's rewind for a bit. Before you found yourself traveling along Route 66 in the US in a 1955 Chevy Bel Air, what did life look like for you? Uh, prior to that trip? Yes. Yeah, so I was, um, I was working, you know, a job that I didn't particularly love. I'd moved up to Sydney uh, with my wife uh, about um, three years before that trip and um, was just sort of living for, I guess, in hindsight, it's easy to say I was li- wasn't living my own life. I was just sort of happily going to work every day, coming home, cooking dinner going to bed they're just I don't know there was nothing particularly exciting along. about it yeah that's yeah. right and I and I didn't have any goals and I didn't have anything didn't have any plans for where I wanted to be and and my my wife's work was really high powered so I was sort of happy to play a support role in that more than anything um, and then just before the trip it was actually the catalyst for the trip um, that marriage fell apart and it was um, it was pretty pretty rough time because um, it came as, as, a, as a pretty big surprise to me but it was um, yeah I, I just sort of realized I needed to do something to get away. Gosh I can only imagine how difficult of a time that would have been for you and honestly I would have done exactly the same thing I would have packed my bag jumped on a plane and gone on a very long trip and I think there's something soulful and peaceful about traveling solo isn't there? Yeah, absolutely. Like you can almost understand why dogs put their heads out of car windows. Like there's <laughs> like something about the wind blowing, you know. Um, 
there's, I don't know, there's something really cathartic about that. I, and I think, oh, sorry. No, I was just about to say that I completely. Yeah, I'm, I'm there. I am that dog. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the hair's yeah. blowing through. That's like, right. And I, I, mean, I almost wish it had been a convertible so that that would have been literally true. But. <laughs> so speaking about that, what was actually going through your mind on that trip? Uh, I mean, it's a long process. There's no, there was no one thing. You know, I had to deal with why you know, the, the usual things. Why had the marriage fallen apart? What what was wrong with me? What was, um, you know, what could I do? And there's the usual thoughts of, oh, well, what can I do to get her back? And what can I do? You know, there's the, there's all of those processes. But because it was such a long road trip, it was just, wasn't just one or two days down the coast. Sort of got to move, evolve past those thoughts and then go into, okay, well, wait a minute. Don't worry about her. Worry about what you're doing now. She's made her choices and, and it's, you're in a position now where you've got to make your own. I think what I, I remember reading in an interview that you had been on the trip, started the trip for a, a couple of hours, you saw a, a roadside diner and you stopped. And it was like, I've only been doing this, like, I've yeah. only been on this. Well, it was funny because, <laughs> like, yeah, I had set out at like 9 a.m. <laughs> and I had, I'd had a big breakfast because I thought, it's my, because it starts in Chicago, as I said, so I'd had a big breakfast and I thought, I'm about to drive through the suburbs of, of Chicago and out into the middle of nowhere, so I don't know when lunch is going to kind of come. And I got into the car and then started driving in about, yeah, about 20 minutes in, there's this iconic old, <laughs> 20 minutes out of Chicago, old hot dog stand and I thought the whole spirit of this trip is that I have to stop and eat one of these hot dogs even though I really full and so I pulled over and ate, and ate the hot dog. Had you had one or did you have three? Um, yeah well I might have had more than one. There was a special on in my in my defense and I was yeah. trying to save money. Um, and then Isn't Chicago quite famous for one of its hot dogs? Yeah, hot, yeah. yeah that was one of the things I actually did at my food stall in the end because it meant so much to me was the Chicago style hot dog. So I can see there's this sparkle in your eye. I mean, you're on this trip of a lifetime. You're discovering yourself and your newfound love of American diners. What I'm curious to know is at what point did you realize that there is something in this? After I got back, there was the real profound um, realization of that I actually had loved the diners themselves too. And that that food was something that we just didn't do in Australia, um, really. And that that was something that I wanted to embrace as well. So. You've got this idea brimming in your mind. What actually happened when you did get home? Um, so I got home and I was just so excited to kind of get into becoming a food writer. I mean, I, I wanted to sort of just start writing and started getting the opportunity to write more and more and, and got, um, got a few opportunities at some major publishers to write some stuff. And so then downsized the job that I'd been doing so that I could focus more on um, my on yeah writing about food and doing the stuff that I wanted to do and then just yeah the opportunities kind of kind of kept kept coming up and then the idea arose um, to to write this cookbook um, about the diners of Route 66 and I and I and I thought um, well why would they publish I mean I've done the trip and I'm a food writer now I guess technically but I mean. I've never cooked this food for people. I've never, this is not something I've ever done before. So I had the idea to um, start this pop-up food stall as well, uh, which was um, an opportunity to actually, yeah, figure out those recipes, cook them for people, get feedback and get people, like prove to any potential publishers that people were um, excited about eating that kind of food and excited about engaging. So then all of that stuff started as well, because there's a, you know, a whole lot of stuff, a whole lot of stuff as I quickly found out. Let's go back to the pop-up store in terms of what was your next step to get that started? 
Um, so the first thing was trying to find an opportunity somewhere to actually do it. Um, and I happened to see at the same time as the idea had kind of occurred to me, I happened to see um, a little notification go past from Carriage Works where they were looking for established chefs um, to kind of put um, food stalls, uh, interesting food stalls that had food that they didn't, wasn't just your standard kind of bakery fare yeah. um, at their farmer's market. I mean, they came back to me and said, we love the idea, come in and meet with us like that afternoon. So it sort of all kicked off straight away. I had to sort of think, they said, oh, so now next steps are register your business name and, um, you know, get your council permits and, and send them through and then pick some dates. And I was like, oh, oh God, God, now I've got to actually like turn this idea that I just randomly had while I was sitting at my computer into an actual thing that exists. So naturally, I think a lot of people listening will go, insert fear. <laughs> oh, absolutely, yeah. So let's talk about that. Like, what were some of the fears that you had at that point and how did you overcome them? My solution to almost everything, it was the solution to kind of the, the grief of the divorce and the, the uh, it was also the solution to the fear in terms of setting up the, the market store was was just it, just pragmatism, just do it, just do just something. So you, yeah. can be, you can be terrified and let that stop you from doing stuff, or you can be terrified and then figure out, okay, well, what are, my, what are the actual steps? Break it down into lists, and then with everything that you cross off that list, you'll be a little bit less terrified. I think when people look at you now, they could definitely be forgiven for thinking that it's been an easy journey because, I mean, you are living the dream but we both know just in this conversation that it's absolutely not the case. There has been a ton of hard work, sleepless nights and all the rest that comes with that. So I'm sure there've been a lot of roadblocks, no doubt. So can you share with everyone uh, what some of those roadblocks um, are that you have experienced and what you did to overcome them? Um, I think there's always, there's the roadblocks that exist outside, but externally, so there's the knockbacks that you get from editors and you know if you're not used if you're not a trained journalist and someone that's been doing that for for 20 years if you're coming to that late then the rejection of like either having pictures rejected time and time again or actually submitting pieces and have the editor come back and go that's really not what we wanted we're going to give it to another journalist is really hard to deal totally. with totally like how do you get like you don't constant, really but yeah. you don't, all you can do and you know i mean i've you know that that hits you hard and i think sometimes you've got to acknowledge that stuff doesn't wash over you. It doesn't. It doesn't just it's brush off. It's not always water for ducks. Back, no, is that's it? right. There are times when things will affect you, and it's really, really hard. You've achieved a huge amount over the last couple of years, and it sounds like you've learned so much along the way. I can see you smiling there. <laughs> you definitely have. So, I'm curious to know what are your rules and insights you live by that will help those listening in find the confidence and courage they need to take the next step. I think the most important thing is to just start doing it in some capacity. I mean, you've got to, like, there is, there is a, a momentum and an energy that comes from having the idea and an enthusiasm that comes out of that moment. And if you wait too long, it sort of dissipates and you start to overthink it. But if you just start doing something, even if you don't really entirely know what shape it will take, just start doing it. Like, um, I came back and I didn't have anyone to write for and I didn't, you know, wasn't, I wasn't like pitching stories out. I just started writing. I just started like going, I'm just going to start writing some recipes down just so I can say I know how to do that. I would be, you know, six months, a year, two years further down, well behind where I am now. Which I love that because it's all, all part of the process, isn't it? Because if you're just sitting there thinking about creating recipes, before you know it, two or three years have gone by yeah. and you actually haven't done anything. Yeah. So what about your second rule that you live by? It kind of comes off the first one a little bit and it's that, that I don't think 
long-term plans are super helpful, at least not to me. I, I feel like um, the more you try to figure out where you want to be in two, three or four years or six months, the more you um, the more you limit yourself to that. If I had come back using that, that energy from the, the road trip, if I'd come back and I had put in place a five-year plan, I guarantee the, the, that end point of that five-year plan, I ended up hitting that six months later. Um, and there's so many things that the, the Diner Project pop-up stall, there's so many writing gigs, so many opportunities that I wouldn't have had if I had had a plan because those things wouldn't necessarily have fit into it. I agree and like don't make plans because it could put you on the wrong trajectory. And what about your third rule? I think it's really easy to get caught up in professional envy. Um, it's really easy to look at other people's lives and think that's the thing I want to be doing or to look at other people's lives and think I'll never be able to do what they, they can do. I'm not as I'm not a good enough writer. I'm not I don't have enough access to people. They're already doing it, so the job doesn't exist for me to do it. Just worry about your own sort of path. Worry about the things that you want to do. And what about your fourth rule? Um, it's embrace that imposter syndrome and be aware of what your weaknesses are. Not, no, identify your weaknesses. What's making you feel like you aren't good enough to do the thing that you want to do? What's making you feel insecure and fix it? You know, for me, it was, um, I mean, it was everything that's come along, but you know, it's, it's things that I didn't feel like I knew how to cook or I would read reviewers that were m more well read um, and, and had broader sort of references in terms of where they'd, they'd eaten. And it's like, you could sit there and worry about, oh, well, they know more than I do. Or I could spend my time reading the books that they're talking about and going to eat at more restaurants or practicing my cooking or actually um, filling those gaps, uh, going to work at it, volunteer at a butcher, volunteer at a fishmonger, find the things that you don't, that you're worried, that you feel insecure, that you don't know how to do and learn how to do them. I think what I love about what you're doing is that you're not a professional chef, you're not a journalist, but you have an opinion and you can write a really good sentence. And it's, it, I think a lot of people are going to be quite inspired by that. Let's talk about your fifth and final rule. It's so easy to forget. We've talked a lot about how stressful it can be and how insecure you can feel about things. It's so easy to forget once you start doing the thing that you want to be doing, that you're doing the thing that you want to be doing. So actually stop and enjoy it. Just Take those moments of, um, take those moments wherever you can and go for all of the stress and all of the deadlines and all of the things I'd have to do before the weekend or, or everything else, just realize, oh man, I'm, this is the thing that six months ago I wished I was doing and here I am doing it. Or, you know, two years ago I was working a boring desk job as a copywriter and then now here I am in the kitchen and chopping up chives and it's easy to kind of be frustrated because there's not enough time to chop the chives and the thing's been in the oven too long and or is that thing going to be ready but actually stop step out of the moment for a second and go oh man this is cool totally <laughs> I think it's yeah people definitely get you can get bogged down in it and then yeah, yeah I love that that's amazing and I think too like I loved your professional envy tip. There's something I just thought about because I'm all about collaboration over competition and I feel like if somebody is coming into your industry that you will welcome them with open arms um, and be a source of inspiration and advice and knowledge and I'm also super happy one of your tips is to remind people to take the time to enjoy the process obviously what we've just been discussing because I don't know I just think it's important that we all put our phones down and remember why we're doing what we love in the first place yeah and again 
everything you've said there is amazing. So Tristan, now that you're here, what is next for you? Um, I love that you laughed a little bit. Well, because part of what, like I said, yeah. part of part of it is I don't know. It's this incredible, I'm the, one of the reasons I love my life so much is I don't know. I'd like to get the um, diner project back up because I just love cooking for people and maybe expand that into a dinner thing. I was doing more breakfast and lunch last time. And I just want to keep, I want to be able to say a year from now that I'm still doing the thing that I'm doing now and still loving it. Thank you so much for joining me today. Obviously, it's been an absolute honor and pleasure speaking with you and I hope you've had fun. Oh, thanks, Jahan. It's been amazing. Thank you very much for talking to me. Tristan Lutz is a brilliant example of someone tapping into a life-changing experience and turning his inspirations into a dream career. He's continuously focusing on the next step. His tips are insightful, practical and motivating, and I hope they have inspired you. Because the most important step isn't your last, it's your next. You've been listening to the Take the Next Step podcast brought to you by Johnny Walker.